Welcome to Life, Family, Liberty. I'm your host, Jonathan Keller. Happy to be with you on a Monday morning. It's, I, I always reflexively say beautiful Monday, but it is actually a nicer Monday today than I think it was last Monday, at least in the Fresno area. I'm not sure where you're listening from. Uh, if you're listening in the hometown of my co-host's in-laws, um, then it is, is an infinitely better Monday than they are having. Uh, yes, and the Midwest is dealing with Arctic temperatures of catastrophic propor- proportions and making my wife somewhat glad that I dragged her away from Minnesota towards the great San Joaquin Valley. And, so. and that that dulcet voice that you hear is the sound of John Girardi. Good morning. Right to Life Central California. Happy to have you with you, us, John. Always glad to be here. John, after uh, your wife, Holly, uh, and you moved out here a couple of years ago, and I think we met your parents. They were not not your parents, her parents. They mm-hmm. were they were visiting, and yeah. we were chatting about what life is like there in Minnesota or Minnesota cold, <laughs> as it's often called. I actually added their hometown of Staples, or maybe that's where Holly's uh, grandma's from. He, that's I think Staples is really. I can't remember if that's where Holly's grandma lives. I think that's where Holly's grandma lives. Yeah. So I added Staples to my weather list because I, you know, whenever, just to get a feel for that. Yeah. Because whenever I'm thinking about, oh, you know, I'm going to be visiting uh, Colorado Springs where my sister lives or Washington, D.C., it's nice sometimes. It, you know, just gives you some context to know where people live. And I just added it for the heck of it, just to look. And mm-hmm. the other day I, I was like flipping through my weather and I go, wait, that, that can't be right. That says. That says that the temperature is two degrees. That's not very many. I said, no, that's that's very not many. It's only two of them. And then I looked and I realized that for this coming week, and I, I should clarify that for, for this Saturday, they're going to have a heat wave, John. They're going to have a high of a whopping 35 degrees. Oh, balmy. Um, but this is for Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, the high on Tuesday is negative 17 Yes. It will not reach zero degrees. It will be 17 degrees below zero for the high. And then that evening heading into Wednesday, the Wednesday high will be negative 18. The Wednesday low overnight will be negative 39 degrees. Yeah, yeah. Now, Staples is a bit north of where Holly's parents actually live. Okay. They live more in Bethel, Minnesota. Okay. I okay. think that's their actual post office or East Bethel or something. Okay. And uh, yeah, so it's uh, high seven degrees right now. Oh, wow. High tomorrow of negative seven, high Wednesday of negative 12, and the low on Wednesday will be negative 29. So it, be glad you live in Fresno. The, the, the reason I bring up this uh, funny weather report from the northern barren wasteland of Minnesota is just because it's a good reminder, John, that we do have crazy politics out here, and we're going to talk about that. We're we're, we're going to talk about it, but you could be. But a at state, least the weather's nice. Yeah, you could be a state like Minnesota uh, and have terrible poli- politics and terrible weather. Yeah, in winter. you could be a state like New York, and same thing. I mean, I, I saw some some photos this weekend. Literally was frozen over, and it mm-hmm. made me go. You know, I mean, yeah, there could be uh, there could be different issues. So, yeah. my wife is texting me and asking what's going on with the radio. So. Um, I will I will reply and say, well, if you can't hear us, then maybe there's something. But um, I don't know. We'll see. That's a very good question. Uh, anyway, we'll at least continue in that uh, vein. John, part of the reason, again, why I wanted to tie together blue state weather, blue state politics, is that um, we are going to have a lot of people from blue states running for president. We're going to probably have a lot of yes, senators indeed. from blue states running for president. And, and so far, that at least includes from... 
the state of New York. We we talked about New York a lot last week, and we're going to keep talking about them because of this insane new late-term abortion law they legalized. Mm-hmm. But one of the senators from New York, Kirsten Gillibrand, who was originally appointed to fill Hillary Clinton's uh, the rest of her term when she was appointed as Secretary of State in 2009, Kirsten Gillibrand is running for president. Okay. Um, she is running a pretty nakedly um, pro-gender division campaign talking about the fact that, well, I'm, you know, I'm the young mom in the race. She's 52, by the way. Yeah, (laughs) like most most young moms. Yeah, like most young moms, you know. Just (laughs) married a billionaire hedge fund person from uh, Britain and uh, has two young kids. Just your average, normal, 52-year-old, incredibly powerful United States senator married to a billionaire hedge fund manager young mom. That's pretty much it. I mean, so, it, if she doesn't represent uh, our wives, John, I mean, who does? In this uh, race? That's that's true. Well, um, it would be Kamala Harris. That's of true. Course. Kamala Harris, who is, I believe, also fifty-two, um, who dated Willie Brown. Dated Willie Brown. But it's okay. That had nothing to do with her rise to politics. No, of, of course not. Um, and then uh, there was a. Let me think here. I love how uh, Willie Brown. Um, had a a very brief column that I think ran or op-ed piece that I think ran in the Los Angeles Times over the past weekend in which he said, yeah, I dated Kamala Harris. So, so and yeah, I appointed her to a couple of things. <laughs> like, OK, <Yeah. laughs> so you're you're laying out the factual predicates for yes. us to make a claim that that there was some kind of political corruption, yes. you know, uh, you know, quid pro quo thing going on here with where you guys were dating. So you advanced her political career. And, so, and then like, he was like, yeah, I did. Who cares? Well, so, the, the thing that's amazing, John, is that good for he, you, Willie Brown. He, he goes on to try to mitigate it and say, yeah, but look, she told me that she'd process when she became attorney general or D.A. of San Francisco. She said, look, you know, don't think this is going to affect you're going to any special treatment you know if you so much as jaywalk i'll prosecute you okay har 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 that's funny okay yeah but yeah so that verbal um reassurance is supposed to outweigh the fact that you guys were dating and you appointed her to a whole bunch of things and but john okay that's fine that it's california so we're not going to investigate that except that op-ed from willie brown who for those of you who don't know if you're watching online or if maybe you're younger and you don't listen to you haven't paid as much attention. Willie Brown essentially is the one reason why California has term limits for legislators because yes. he was so powerful that in the state Senate, in the state Senate or in the state assembly, he was the he was speaker a, of the house. Okay. Uh, he was so powerful that he basically ruled with an iron fist for years and years and years. I think, I think he might've been an assembly member for like 20 years. And then I think he was the mayor of Oakland. I mean, he just was, and he was extremely, uh, extremely adept at, making sure he stayed in power and manipulating things behind the scenes. Um, He was separated from his wife, but still married technically. Um, And Kamala Harris was, I believe, 30 years his junior. Yeah, yeah. Not not great. No, no. Anyway, and then anyway, the the, the thing that uh, happened in this op-ed, he he writes this op-ed saying, "Well, look, you know, what's the big deal? Yeah, I used my power to, you know, date this young <laughs> attorney. I used my power to appoint her to this commission." And John, he ends. So what? He, he ends the piece literally. I mean, we're 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 joking about it, but he literally ends the piece by saying, "That's politics for you." Well, well that's, the, that's the last line, <laughs> and it's like no, it is time out. It's not that, supposed to be. I mean, if that's politics for you, I mean, then that sucks. <laughs> especially when Kamala Harris's campaign, uh, her her 
tagline is, you know, Hillary Clinton's, it was, you know, stronger together and Barack Obama, it was, you know, hope and change or, yeah, you know, something like uh, that. Whatever. Kamala Harris's um, slogan is Kamala Harris for the people. That's politics uh, for you. Yeah, or, or I mean, just for Jerry Brown. <laughs> well, <laughs> or, or Willie, 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 Willie Brown. Brown. Well, me. well, I mean, but if you compare those two things where it's for the people, that's politics for you. I mean, it, it's kind of hard to get two things that are farther apart than those two things. So, yeah. um, John, we've, we've talked about it's Kamala okay. Harris. Kamala Harris has such a likable personality, though, that I'm sure she'll, she'll just fly by. Uh, I, I think it will probably come out that she... I saw her smile one time. <laughs> Once. Once a very rare thing. <laughs> well, the, the other thing, John, is that she um, she's actually been getting some very interesting pushback uh, from Black Lives Matter activists because, and, and this is something, John, where I think it's a little bit outside the normal bounds of this show on life, family, liberty, uh, but it is something that's going to be interesting to see how she tries to kind of differentiate herself because a lot of Black Lives Matter activists are saying, "Well, you know what? She, she was like, a prosecutor." And she prosecuted, yeah. And, and she there put are a lot, a lot of, black, of lives, black men in prison. Well, and, and there's a lot of a lot of the underlying theory behind some of the Black Lives Matter people, and maybe more, you know, uh, rigorously and precisely stated by a lot of people in legal academia is the whole thing of uh, African American men are being prosecuted at disproportionate rates. Not re- that doesn't actually reflect how often they commit crimes, and it's because of drug crimes and things like that. And here's Kamala Harris, who was a prosecutor for a number of number of years. And so I think a lot of sort of real hardcore liberal activists are just going to look askance at any prosecutor, any former prosecutor. And that's all Kamala Harris was. I mean, she was a prosecutor and then she was attorney general. So the chief prosecutor of the state of California. Um, they're going to kind of look askance at her candidacy. And, and that's actually the interesting thing. All these different candidates, they have some faction of their party that isn't thrilled with them um between the i mean you can sort of broadly divide the world into bernie and hillary land um the bernie land of real diehard socialist liberal activists and then hillary land of sort of more establishmenty business interest catering democrat politicians who are not socialists and who are close to major business interests and, you know, Goldman Sachs types and, uh, you know, married to billionaires like Kirsten Gillibrand. But um, <laughs> so so what they got to find is that magic Barack Obama special sauce, that magic sort of combination of someone who can dupe all the socialists into thinking that he's a socialist, but still placate all the powerful money people uh, so that they can get all of their power and their money. Beto Obama. Uh, yeah, Barack yeah. But, uh, but York. The thing is, though, that the, the, a lot of the socialists have, have wised up and they, they've sort of realized, like, there's a lot of pushback against Beto O'Rourke's candidacy. There's a lot of pushback against Howard Schultz. There's a lot of, well, we should, we should talk about Howard Schultz in the next segment. Um, but there's a lot of pushback against some of these more establishment-y types and they're not getting seduced by Beto O'Rourke's, you know, suave looks and charming, you know, whatever it is that people like about him. Uh, They want someone who's actually a socialist. And I think that is why, as we said at the beginning of this segment, why Howard Schultz actually might have a lane, um, which will be interesting. I mean, it could be a Ross Perot type, and will it be the same result as 1996? We'll find out, and we'll talk about it when we come back on today's episode of Life, Family, Liberty.
back to Life, Family, Liberty. I'm your host, Jonathan Keller. Happy to be in studio with John Girardi. Good to be here. My co-host and the executive director for Right to Life Central California. Yes, indeedy. RTLCC.org if you want to learn more. We uh, had a, a very good time at the Walk for Life West Coast uh, just this past Saturday. So I actually wanted to talk about that, John. I, I mentioned that in the Facebook live stream, and I... I do want to talk about Howard Schultz's 2020, quote unquote, centrist independent bid for president. Um, but I think it's also important to discuss like the actual pro-life leanings of California. So yeah. tell us about the march or the, the walk for life. I always get the mix up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I this was at the, the walk for life West Coast, yeah. not the march for life in Washington, D.C. Yes. Um, it was really good. Um, yeah. Bunch of. Ton of kids there. I, I get. A I saw sense, eighty thousand number thrown around somewhere. Uh, I don't know about that. It didn't feel actually as big as it was three years ago when I went. Uh, the last time I went. Um, I th- I actually get a sense that the numbers are getting a little smaller because of One Life LA, which is the pro cho- the pro life march in Los Angeles. So I think a lot of people who would otherwise come up to San Francisco are just going to Los Angeles for for that march. Unfortunately, yes. Which you know I don't know. I've been a little. I mean, it's One Life almost, LA is a fine march and everything, and I, I, I don't it's, oppose it. But I, I just sort of wonder why, you know, we had a big California thing, and it was like everyone from the Western United States was coming, and now One Life LA is kind of. It's it's almost John like market share. It's almost like the state is too big. And, it's almost uh, like the state is too big. Almost That's, almost like if we were two states uh, split at the grapevine, that probably One Life LA and the West Coast Walk for Life would, would probably be. Sense and would probably be the second and third largest pro-life gatherings in the country. <laughs> yes, or, you know, if the state were divided into five states. I'm just whatever. saying. I'm I just saying. Know. Anyway, so. This is a longtime pet peeve of John and is, I. This is my, yeah, this is a whole rant. Anyway. John, John, I have to say that just because you, you brought it up, and I was talking about this when I was with people back in Washington, D.C., and they were just kind of like, they were gobsmacked when I when I mentioned this because they were saying, "Wow, man, it must be really hard to be in California where you know you're you're totally alone. You know, you must be one of what like five Republicans, five conservatives, like, five pro lifers no, like, in the whole state. Like our county voted for Trump. Like it's a very but, conservative place. But but not only that, just in terms of here's the weird dichotomy. And I I talk about this when we when we reference people that are in deep 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 blue states like Hawaii that voted you know." overwhelmingly for uh, or, the Democrat candidates. Or, or Massachusetts yeah. or Vermont or something. So, so California, we, pro-life people in California are at a massive electoral disadvantage. We are at a massive, uh, b- both because of, somewhat because of, you know, the districts being somewhat gerrymandered, but also just because of the, the, the way things are distributed. Hillary won by 30 percentage points, though. That was a statewide vote. She won, I think, I think it was 62 to 32, Something roughly. Something like that, yeah. She won overwhelmingly. That being said, and I, and I think we've said this on the show before, but there are more people, Republicans, independents, unaffiliated, whatever. There were more people who voted for Trump in 2016 than in any, California. than in California than any other state in the entire nation except for Texas. Wow. That so means we had, there, were, there were more... People who voted for Trump in California than there were in Florida, where he actually won. Yep. Then in Ohio, where he actually won. Then Oklahoma. And, uh, yeah. Then I mean, and Texas is the next biggest state, and still, 
we had more voters. You would think, oh, well, you know, the, you, you can barely find, you know, two pro-lifers, you know, to. No, there are millions and millions of them. Yes. It's just none of us have any power. And right. And it's because we apparently think that the boundaries of California were drawn by God Almighty <laughs> and that we can't think and of never, any clever way or any sensible way to subdivide the state, even though it's really like four different states or at five least. different states, at least based on regional differences and different economies and economic interests and cultural interests, blah, 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 regional interests. I mean, it's a humongous state geographically. It's a humongous state in terms of population. It's a humongous state in a billion different ways. And yet, for some reason, we never want to have the conversation of when is a state too big. And this goes, interestingly, John, to I think why the giganticness of California could actually play an interesting role in the 2020 presidential election. Ah, smooth segue. Uh, because I think it's probably likely that uh, California will um, will end up voting for the Democratic candidate in the general election. Sure. I, I think that's probably likely, unless... No, and this is where we bring in Mr. Howard Schultz. So, yes. Howard Schultz, former CEO of Starbucks, um, he is... A big fat liberal. I mean, he's not fat, but he's, <laughs> he's a fit liberal. He's a big a fit, fit liberal. He's a big fit liberal. There you go. Well, he's from you know he's from the Pacific Northwest. He's a very groovy guy. Um, his positions seem almost completely indistinguishable from that of any Democrat, with the one exception being he has this thing where he thinks the national debt is bad. Of course, he thinks the national debt is bad when he's in a position of never having had to vote for anything. Yep. So once people actually get into power, shockingly, the national debt becomes less of an issue um, because of politics and things. So he's an interesting character because he's got billions and billions of his own dollars and could sort of self-fund a campaign and does not want to run as a Democrat or as a Republican. He just wants to run as an independent and let me read a little bit from his interview here with the the New York Times. Uh, he goes that looks on. Like the Hill. Yeah, the Hill. But they're oh, quoting they quote an interview from the New York Times. Times. Oh, okay. New York Times. Oh, okay. All right, there we go. Uh, he says he's going to make a final decision after a three month book tour starting soon. Which is oh. hey, that is capitalism <laughs> hey, one hundred and one. Yeah. Convenient. Good, good job, Mr. Schultz. Yeah. Uh, he says, you know, I am certainly prepared for the cynics and the naysayers to come out and say that this cannot be done. Schultz said, addressing the criticism from multiple high profile Democrats. I don't agree with them. I think it's un-American to say it can't be done. Well, okay. <laughs> uh, Schultz says he does not want to run as a Democrat because it would force him to be disingenuous. Now, this is an area, John, where I do think the Democrats really have to be concerned. He says, quote, I feel if I ran as a Democrat, I would have to be disingenuous and say things that I don't believe because the party has shifted so far to the left, the billionaire told, told the Times. When I hear people espousing free government paid college, free government paid health care, and a free government job for everyone on top of 21 trillion debt, how the question is, how are we going to pay for this and not bankrupt the country? These are good questions, but these are the so here's the scenario here's the doomsday scenario for the Democrats. This guy runs as an independent. He self-funds. He becomes a viable force. The Democrats have their primary and Bernie Sanders wins. With Bernie Sanders winning, most of the more, I'll call them Hillary Democrats, I'll call them centrist Democrats, I'll call them Democrats with non, dollars. Non-insane Democrats? I, I'll call it baby boomer Democrats, frankly. Yep. yep. Um, will look at Bernie and his 
policies of wanting, you know, I don't know exactly what kind of tax plan Bernie Sanders wants, but you know, a I big know, one, a, a big <laughs> one. I, 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 his, his, uh, his, uh, little co his, uh, his buddy, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez has talked about a 90% marginal income tax rate on, uh, the top income tax bracket. Uh, he has certainly not, uh, he has certainly not poo-pooed that suggestion. Uh, and obviously Bernie Sanders has all these policies he wants for Medicare for all and uh, all kinds of really expensive policies that would naturally mean wealthy baby boomer Democrats would have to open their pockets up more. I could see a split of the vote. I could see all the Bernie bros going for Bernie. I could see more moderate Democrats, or enough of them anyway, going for Howard Schultz and a very easy path to victory for Donald Trump. Quite possible. But with a more united Republican Party behind him. However, however, I think the possibility... <laughs> Your Bernie Sanders Vermont uh, Brooklyn is coming out uh, there. Yeah. However, I think that uh, if Howard Schultz runs, there's a possibility and a, uh, a, uh, a possibility that one John Kasich... Yes. Who, whose father was a postman. I don't know if you know that. It's a very important fact, uh, yep. as he mentioned a million times during the Republican uh, primary debates uh, back in 2016. John Kasich might be thinking, you know what, maybe I should run for president if Howard Schultz is going to run for president. And Kasich would try to be the never-Trump conservative, and I'm using conservative in scare quotes, yes. candidate who would siphon votes away from Donald Trump. And so we'd have four people duking it out for the presidency. Um, and so John, those that, would be that's the four, a maybe, but those would be you know. the four major presidents, presidential candidates. You have to think because it, then you also have to look at potentially could a it li- just li- turn libertarian into like a, candidate? Yeah, well, because you've it, got the Green Party. You had you had Gary Johnson last time, yeah, running for the Libertarians. Well, and that's the thing. If Schultz jumps in, maybe everyone on the sort of Republican leaning side kind of realizes, okay, if no one jumps in. Trump can have a victory. Maybe Kasich meets with Trump and says, okay, maybe you do this for me and I do this for you, you know, some backroom dealing. You know, that's politics. That's politics as, for as you. Willie, as Willie Brown says, <laughs> shady backroom deals, that's politics. And getting jobs for your girlfriend, that's politics. Um, but uh, maybe some arrangement is made and all the Republicans are like, okay, if we just don't do anything, Trump can win and that's going to get us maybe two or three more seats on this Supreme Court yep. and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Folks, let me explain why this, when Howard Schultz talks about the the party moving too far left, some people might be saying, well, yeah, but why would why would you vote for Howard Schultz when, you know, you know Howard Schultz is probably going to be pro uh, same-sex marriage, same as the other Democrats. He's going to be pro-choice, same as the other Democrats. He's probably going to be fine with funding Planned Parenthood, same as the other Democrats. What What's the real differentiator? Well, folks, when he says the party has moved too far to the left, let me let me explain. John mentioned uh, representative, newly elected representative from New York, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Who honestly, like, if there weren't an age limit, Oh, I yeah. honestly feel like she'd win the nomination. I think it's quite possible because she's so charismatic. And, and you know what? Hey, I would love to sit down and, and you know, have a piece of avocado toast with her. She seems like a, <laughs> a perfectly pleasant, nice young lady. Um, and she is young. She's she's 29 years old. So she is younger than both of the people on this radio show. And yeah. she managed to get herself elected to Congress, which is, you know, hey, John, I mean. It's more Pro- than I've done. That's right. Props, props for to that. But she was also a bartender, so she that, probably knows all about healthcare. That's and, that's uh, also true. Yeah, you know, national healthcare policy. So. Um, I 
I, I want to get into this tax issue because when we're talking about taxes, we're not talking about a slight increase. Um, when, when we had this huge, massive tax cut that we discussed, the top uh, tax rate, top marginal tax rate went from, I think, uh, 39 point something percent to about 37 percent. That was the massive change in taxes that the Democrats said was horribly unfair and it was, you know, grossly cruel to the working person that the top income earners got a 2 percent tax reduction. Um, but when we come back, we're going to talk about the fact that o- Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez isn't saying that the rate should go back up to what it was. It shouldn't go to 30, from 37 to 39 again. It shouldn't even go to maybe 45. But she said that... Uh, it should it, go to 90. It sh- she said it should go to maybe 60 to 70, over 10 million. Um, it, there's even higher amounts that other Democrats are proposing, and that's what we're going to talk about when we come back on today's episode of Life, Family, Liberty. Family Liberty. Thanks for being with us today on this beautiful Monday. Happy to have all of you with us on... I'm happy to have most of you with us. Yeah. Monday uh, the 20th There are probably of some of you out there that, yeah, I could do without, but that's Could right. take you or leave you. Yeah. Um, but we've been talking today about... John the, Girardi and Jonathan Kelly, oh, yeah. by the way. Here Sorry. Life, Family, Liberty. That's right. Pleasure to have you with us. Um, we've been talking about the presidential primaries and... We talked a little bit, John, in the last segment about some of the reasons why we think Howard Schultz might actually have a lane. Yeah. And this is important because for social conservatives, for people who believe in the sanctity of life and the importance of marriage and family and religious liberty, um, I think you're going to be really hard pressed to find anybody on the Democratic side of the aisle with the with the possible exception of Tulsi Gabbard. Um, yeah, that, that and she is, ain't going nowhere. N- well, probably not. Um, I think almost everybody else is going to be putting us as people of faith on the chopping block. Um, and th- it actually reminds me of, unfortunately, a, uh, a Babylon Bee article. For those of you who are not familiar with the Babylon Bee, I would say, what is wrong with you? How do you, how do you not know about this wonderful website? But if you go to BabylonBee.com, the the headline of one of the articles from the last couple weeks said, um, local Christian just voting for whichever candidate won't make his faith illegal. (laughs) Exactly. And and that's the thing. Like the the key debates in the Democratic Party are all about fiscal issues. Pretty much everyone has taken it as a given that, yes, abortion should be legal, fully funded. It should be government funded. It should be legal. It should be mandated that employers cover it it's like like there's not a lot of difference of opinion among democrats about these kinds of social questions um there's some among republicans but it, it's for republicans the bigger issues of contention of concern for republicans are social issues and immigration and for democrats it's very much this what kind of party should we be should we be a sort of more moderate friendly capitalist party of Hillary Clinton, well, friendly, whatever, Um, or should we be a hardcore, genuinely socialist party? Right. Um, And should we try to make the United States into a nation modeled after some of the Scandinavian countries where 
Uh, they gen- genuinely have large state ownership of uh, a lot of the means of production. And you know what? I, I have never been to Europe, John, but I've talked to people that have visited Sweden and Norway and um, uh, Amsterdam and other places. And I I think that if you would like to live in one of those countries, that is fine. I do not think that we should invade your country and try to uh, convert you to pure market-based capitalism. Um, however, I also think that if you really want to live in one of those countries, you can live in one of those countries. Yeah. You can move there. Or just like take your individual state and do that. Oh, wait. Well, they would do that to California. Yeah. So then I'd have to move. But That's, anyway. But hey, um, th- John, I would actually say that that is true. If you are Vermont or if you are California or if you are New York, as much as I think there are some things that are absolutely horrible from a, a moral perspective, like the horrific new abortion law that's. Uh, that New York passed. I think I think those types of things should not be in the purview of a state to legalize because they deal with fundamental issues of human rights. But if you wanted to be outside of that, if you wanted to become like California or another state and you want to you can you can get a supermajority of radical far left progressives in both houses and a radical far left progressive in the governor's mansion, <coughs> California. Yes. Um, you know what? I, I guess that you can try to experiment with crazy high tax rates and crazy high um, regulations. See how it goes. I think a lot of people are going to move. Um, I, it's all right, Jonathan. I mean, California, I mean, our poverty rate is, it must be super low, right? Because we've yeah. had such enlightened liberal we, leaders. Oh, wait. We have the number one poverty rate in the entire nation. Humongous homeless problems. Yeah. And, yeah. But everyone can go to college for free here, right, John? Like oh, at, oh, at every one no, of our great state universities. Oh, and, wait. Oh, wait. So the reason we're bringing this up is because Howard Schultz, I think the area, John, where, as we said, he may have a, he may have a lane. We said at the end of the last segment, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said that people who are earning more than $10 million could be taxed at 60 to 70%. And then one person said, you know, well, you know, that sounds, uh, that sounds kind of radical. You know, would you, would you say you're a radical? And she said, well, if you look throughout history, you know, I mean, people like Martin Luther King, and all right, all Gandhi, right. and you know, uh, they, Maybe they were slow your roll, sweetheart. They were considered, uh, they were considered radical. So if that makes me a radical, then yeah, call me a radical. I'll, I'll embrace that. Okay. All right. So, so setting aside that the thing is, John, she is a first-term congresswoman. I shouldn't say sweetheart. Sorry, I know that was, that was bad, bad word choice. That sorry. was toxic masculinity, John. Sorry. I'm very, sorry. I'm very offended. Sorry. Um, okay. But no, we, we will say congresswoman, congresswoman Ocasio Cortez. I also think I said something about uh, Kamala Harris never smiling, which could possibly be taken as sexist. I, don't, I have actually seen her smile. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Right. We, 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 we 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 apologize. I apologize for bad choice of words. Yes. Okay. I, I will I will say this though. Um, I've never thought of Kamala Harris as having a bubbly personality. No, I I, anyway. I I would agree with that. I would I would say this. That however. is not the basis on which she should be judged as a politician. I 100% agree. All right. Anyway, okay. moving on. So, so I do, I do think though that Alexandria Ocasio Cortez she is due the the honor and respect of a first term elected representative. Um, I as I said I, I made a joke John so about someone who shouldn't talk for the entire first term which is kind yeah, of the older tradition yeah. in, in well, the house. <laughs> and, and and here's why I, I was joking and saying that you know I would love to sit down and have a piece of avocado toast with her I know you're going to give me great opprobrium for this I actually like avocado toast I think it's good I, I love avocados as being someone from California you know what's um, better than avocado toast is uh, just making some stinking guacamole that's, like, that's which true. is better and anyway, I, I like I like avocado toast. I think if I had an opportunity to meet with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I'd, I'd love to meet with her. I think she's 
wrong on a whole bunch of policies, but I appreciate her earnestness and I wish that more young people our age with a different idea set, but more young people would run for Congress. I think that I think the country would be better off if you had more young people who cared about the pro-life issue, for example, or lived uh, an authentically uh, a life that is authentically Christian with uh, family and kids and everything else like that. I think the the nation would do better if we saw those people representing us. That is true. Here's the thing that I'm concerned about. She is receiving not just a due amount of respect and notice, but she is re- receiving a incredibly disproportionate amount of interest from the media. And the media is amplifying her message. So much so that when she she can't not run for president, as you said, I think, John, she's um, she's 29 years old. So she, you can't run for president until you're 35. Right. She can't even run next time. Well, she actually can. We I, I, I looked into this. She will turn 35 like three weeks before the 2024 election. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, 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 because that's six years away. Sorry. Yes, she okay. will just barely make it in um, right before the election. And okay. I, well, I look look forward to that, everyone. I would not be surprised, John, if she runs in 2024. Because honestly, like, she's moved the whole conversation on that side of the aisle in, in a way right. that, I mean, Bernie certainly was the first one and paved the way, and, and maybe Bernie, you know, maybe Bernie is going to... You know, ride to victory on on you know on her shoulders and with her support. Um, I would not be surprised to see that. But um, she's honestly shifting the conversation. And if Howard Schultz jumps into the race again, Howard Schultz, CEO, the former CEO of Starbucks, very liberal guy, much much more fiscally conservative though, and much less a, a very obvious non proponent of socialism. Um, I feel like that could genuinely split the Democratic Party in two. Um, so, or at least in two thirds and one third, or so, you know three quarters and one quarter, and that's enough to guarantee Donald Trump a victory. And and, and this is where John, I think it's interesting because uh, leading all up to this, normally you would hear someone talk about sixty to seventy percent, and people like Nancy Pelosi, who's the Speaker of the House, or people like Chuck Schumer, or or any other candidates that are running, would say, <laughs> okay, um, all right, that, that, you know, thank you, Congresswoman, we we appreciate your thoughts, but really, and then they would try to shift the topic back and talk about you know expanding opportunities and different things like that. Which really, it's a testament to how weak the Democrat leadership is right now. I yes, mean, I, I mean. It, yeah, they won. Uh, they won the House back in this last election, but that was really more reaction against Trump than it was people saying, oh, man, you know who I really love? Nancy Pelosi. Uh, you know, she's been around forever. She's hardly a fresh face on the national political scene. It's not like she's got many new ideas that she's presenting. I mean, she and uh, Chuck Schumer are, are not exactly, you know, young John Kennedy or anything. They're right. not inspiring the next generation of leaders by any stretch. Um, so it is, I mean, it's really, she is far more engaging with young people. She's far more charismatic. And I think she's moving the conversation away from where the Nancy Pelosi's and Chuck Schumer's of the world want it on the Democrat side. I, I honestly think her endorsement in 2020 could is be the going kingmaker. to be huge. I think uh, people will be fighting for that endorsement, and I think it's something that could it could help Bernie get over the you know it could help Bernie get over the top. And and I mean honestly, Bernie Bernie should have won it last time, and yeah. it was only because they have these very anti democratic systems, uh, small d democratic, um, 
the, the Democratic nomination nominating process is much less Democratic than the Republican nomination process, ironically, because they have these these super delegates. Basically, if you're an elected representative, you get a whole delegate vote in a way that, you know, states would. And so it basically it doesn't matter as much how the people vote uh, for the Democratic primary. It, that has some weight, but there's also much more weight given to what the establishment within the Democratic Party thinks. So basically Hillary won on the strength of her superdelegates, not so much on the strength of actual votes. And I think with her out of the picture, this could be Bernie's year. And maybe there are a lot of people regretting, you know, throwing their support behind Hillary last time. Oh, I and think she's still lurking. Yeah, I think a lot of people and I won't play the whole interview, but John, there was a fascinating interview I saw over the weekend. Maybe we play it next week where Hillary was being interviewed and she was talking about the sexism that female fan candidates still face. And she mentioned Kamala Harris as a candidate that sounded like she was offering some tacit support. Uh, but then she said, yeah, you know, and these these Bernie Sanders uh, supporters, you know, they're still attacking me, you know, years later. And really, well, yeah, it, you lost you lost to Donald Trump. She, <laughs> You're she, like the worst politician in American history. It was uh, it was just fascinating because I think that that hatchet has not been buried in a lot of. Ways. Oh, no. So. Oh, no. So the, the interesting thing here, though, is that um, uh, Julian Castro, who is the former mayor of San Antonio, used to serve in President Obama's cabinet as housing and urban development secretary. Uh, he goes on instead of pushing back. He is running. He's running for president. To clarify, he's running for president. He's one yeah. of the youngest candidates who's running. I think he's 37 or 38. He said, "Well, you know, uh, there was a time in this country where the top marginal tax rate was over 90 percent, and even during Reagan's era in the 1980s, it was around 50 percent." Yeah, because Reagan cut it from like 90 to 50. <laughs> so th the interesting thing on this note is that. I think there's a lot of people, John, like you said, Howard Schultz and other people. Not, you don't have to be a multi-multi-billionaire. You can just be a multi-thousandaire, <laughs> someone who, who has, you know, I, I think of a huge percentage, John, of doctors and lawyers and, you know, business owners, small business owners, um, people who, who I think of some of our friends here in town who, well, who own small if, family farms or life insurance businesses. Yeah, well, or, and especially for a lot of people, if, if your family business is really you as a DBA, yes. where your income is your farm's income or right. your business's income. Um, and that's actually the, the more significant part of the tax cut that Trump passed was how it impacted the corporate tax rate, not so much the individual tax rate. Now, uh, the individual tax rate change, how it helped um, middle class earners like yours truly is quite tangible. And mm -hmm. I will be getting a way bigger um uh, refund check this year than I did last year. So. It helps to have that third kid. Well, yeah, too, so. I mean, I, they, well, they doubled the the child tax credit, and I had another kid, so that's yeah, that's nice. Um, but I mean, my parents though, they're actually going to be paying more because yep. of how they yep. got rid of some of the deductions yep. that were present under the old, old plan. So, but the bigger the bigger change was obviously the corporate tax rate change. Yeah, and and that's... and I I think all this discussion about. The marginal tax rate for individual earners. There's so much discussion about the marginal tax rate for individual earners. And, you know, if you're genuinely a socialist or, or you're genuinely thinking, you know, the rich aren't paying enough, um, the idea that you wouldn't look towards capital gains taxes, which well, some people are. Well, John, and that's. Or reversing what happened to the corporate tax rate. Who, I mean, that just seems a little short sighted. Further in the article, quote, uh, 
Julian Castro also quoted, uh, floated, quote, that we get more serious about making sure corporations are paying their, paying their fair share, unquote, so the country can fund policy programs like Medicare for All, as well as universal pre-kindergarten and higher education. Good Lord. That is exactly what Howard Schultz was talking about. Going back, he said, quote, in his interview with the New York Times, quote, when I hear people espousing free government paid college, free government paid health care, and a free government job for everyone on top of our 21 trillion in debt, the question is, how are we paying for all of this and not bankrupting the country? It's really two roads. The Democrats have two roads diverging, and maybe they're going to ultimately decide, you know what, we don't want to pick one or the other, and maybe this independent guy is a real lane for more moderate Democrats. It's going to be, I think, a much more interesting campaign than even 2016, as if that was possible. Uh, We will be back next week. I'm Jonathan Keller. I'm John Girardi. Thanks for joining us on today's episode, California Family Council's Life, Family, Liberty. 